Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Top 5 at 5. I'm Catherine Murray, and uh, as always, I'm really thrilled to be able to bring to you um, some of the top minds in finance and investment ideas. Um, today, of course, we have Brian Madden, who's the Chief Investment Officer over at First Avenue Investment Council. Uh, Brian, welcome, and thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Catherine. Great to uh, be here. Great, and, and in your new role as Chief Investment Officer, so congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. I've um, I've been drinking from a fire hose, as you do when you uh, dive into a, a new role, having joined First Avenue as the CIO back. Uh, it's coming up on three months, but um, this is a, a high energy place. Uh, we're in the office five days a week, and um, it's a, a young, hungry, talented, energetic team that's growing organically and organically. We've just added two new people to my team. So um, we're here with our boots on, uh, fighting for our investors every day, rolling up our sleeves and getting deep into these markets, looking for uh, good ideas, macro and micro level. So uh, I'm sure we'll talk about some of both today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's look, it's been a very difficult start to the year and certainly the markets have been very volatile lately. Um, why don't you just give us your top down view? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, that's obviously where we start uh, as well uh, in, in building portfolios and thinking about strategy and asset allocation and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, we're, um, we're positioning for what we characterize as a decelerating growth and decelerating inflation environment. Um, I think the inflation um, deceleration is the more obvious um, of the two expectations because um, when inflation is in like 65 font at the top above the fold on every newspaper and on the cover of every magazine, uh, it's peak inflation mania. You know, I'm sure if we looked at Google search trends, inflation is one of the buzziest of all buzzwords this past year. Um, but the mathematics of the calculation is such that uh, we think um, the comps are getting tougher if, uh, if you can say that on inflation. And so we should see deceleration, which is not outright deflation, but just a slowing and a normalizing of the rate of inflation in the back half of the year. And similarly on growth, um, you know, as we get into the middle of this year, the comparisons are pretty tough because if you think back a year ago, we had the big reopening trade as the COVID lockdown started easing up in the US. And then, you know, with a bit more of a lag here in, in Canada, um, but then you had this sort of pouring gasoline on a fire um, stimulus, both fiscal and monetary in Canada and the US last year. Uh, the fiscal stimulus has already become a headwind. So all those CERB checks and the whole alphabet soup of subsidies that were going out to households and, um, and businesses has basically been tapered off down to zero or close to zero, both sides of the border. And the monetary stimulus, both the, uh, the quantitative easing has now become quantitative tightening. And we've started to see um, you know, the early stages of what looks like it could be a, a sharp and rapid uh, rate hike cycle with the bond market pricing something like eight 
rate hikes uh, on both sides of the border this year. So all that is going to temper growth and, you know, risk of recession is is rising. We have to think of that as a non-trivial risk now. Hmm. Um, but Brian, it's interesting that you see inflation peaking um, soon, it sounds like. And, and the reason why I say that it's interesting is because, you know, one of the reasons why the market has been selling off or, you know, the rallies have faded, I think, is because, you know, of course, people are concerned that the U.S. Federal Reserve is going to continue to hike and hike too much, too far, too fast. If, if in fact, inflation is peaking, they won't have to chase inflation, which should be somewhat supportive for equity market multiples, should it not? Well, it should. If the Fed makes the right move and um, and backs off on the rate hikes, recognizing peaking inflation. But the history of the Fed and like uh, particularly around turning points in the business cycle of doing the right thing is not particularly good. Engineering a soft landing is really difficult to do. Um, and let's be clear, what the Fed wants to do is engineer a slowdown because the inflation that we're seeing today is, you know, some of it is supply side driven, like oil in particular, and some of these other commodity shortages and supply chain um, bottlenecks. But most of it is demand driven, you know, like households and businesses are just really, really, really flush with cash with, you know, the COVID lockdowns having contributed to a lot of excess savings building up on household and corporate balance sheets. Um, and so, you know, it, it's driven a lot of demand, particularly for durables. So, you know, think, Catherine, yourself, and I can think about myself. How many people do you know who bought a Harley Davidson, who put in a pool, who did a backyard reno, who bought a boat, who bought a snowmobile, who bought a new set of golf clubs? And that's all good. You know, that stimulated the economy as it was intended to at the time when it was most needed a year ago. But the thing about durable goods um, that's different from services or consumable goods is you buy them once, right? The hot tub you put in on your back deck, you don't put another one in this year because you did it last year. And the Harley-Davidson you bought, you don't replace it every year. And the boat you bought. And so all these one-time home rentals and kind of lifestyle um, hard lines purchases, that's demand being pulled forward. And so with that demand pressure easing off, and you know, with some of the supply chain gluts and commodity shortages easing, it's very difficult to make a case for inflation accelerating from here. And, mm-hmm. and not the least of which reason is because it's a rate of change. And so it has that denominator effect. So when you're comping against very high inflation in the back half of last year, uh, and then the early part of this year, it just gets hard to kind of keep accelerating from already high levels. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's interesting as well, though, that, you know, I was with um, a very well-known economist uh, last week doing an event, and um, his focus was also on, on durable goods, that they are slowing, I think, to your point. At the same time, though, Brian, I think it's important to take a look at the shifts that are hopefully taking place as well, which means we're going back to how we used to see the economy, which was much more of, of a focus on services versus durable goods, and that hopefully the services side of the economic equation are picking up. Well, yeah, and that's certainly the expectation we have. And so, you know, some of the the things we're looking for, what you could call the reopening trade are on the service side of the economy. Because I think, you know, and we can't obviously generalize down to each and every single individual and household, but, you know, we're thinking 2022 is probably going to be more, um, you know, airfares and more concerts and more restaurant meals and less bread makers and less Pelotons and, <laughs> and, and fewer Lululemon pants, right? I, I think yeah. people are really, really hungry 
to get back to let's call it normal. Um, and services are normal. The Canadian economy is 85 or more percent comprised of services. And you had a tourniquet placed around the neck of the service sector, big parts of it for you know almost two years. And so people want it, they crave it. And they have all that stuff that you know is collecting dust in their basement now, or, or maybe it's being used every day, I don't know. That's true. Um, speaking of services and, and Lululemon and, and some of the, uh, the areas that maybe we won't focus on as much, um, but, but retail is certainly a focus and that's um, your background as well in terms of specializing in retail over years, uh, retail stocks. That is. So, and one of them that you bring to us today is Dollarama. Um, why is that one of your top picks? Yeah, I mean, certainly I've, I've uh, had an affinity for some of the, the retail names. And to be clear, Catherine, this has not been a sector that's been particularly easy to invest in over the last 10 years with the rise of e-commerce and, you know, um, the fading relevance of malls and that sort of thing. But uh, when you find a good defensible business model and a resilient retailer like Dollarama, uh, you just want to own it. This has been a great company ever since the IPO in 2008 or 2009. It's a you know, 10x or more. Um, and it's because it's a good organic grower. Um, and Canada has a dearth of organic growth stories. The store count has, has grown by leaps and bounds. So we're 1,400 stores now. And there's a runway to something north of 1,700 over the medium term. And they're opening 65 or 70 every year. Um, they're good at growing same store sales growth, kind of mid single digit pace, obviously a lot more during the pandemic because it was deemed an essential retailer. But nevertheless, they're comping against those tough comps pretty well here. Um, and then it's just very cash generative because it's a capital light expansion model. You know, it's only a few hundred grand to do the leasehold improvements in each store payback periods less than two years. So they just generate a ton of cash. So they pay a dividend, they grow it steadily. It's not a high yielding name. Uh, but they also buy back three or 4% of their shares every year. And it all rolls up nicely to a double digit earnings growth algorithm that is sustainable over the medium term, if not longer. And with a nice kicker actually of a Latin American geographic expansion that's been going on for better part of a decade and was probably not well known or understood out there. Hmm. So a couple of questions. Um, when we do see the stock get hit, what's the cause of that? Uh, you know, beta, I think, is part of it. It's not a particularly high beta stock, but it is a stock. And so when the market is down, you know, sometimes a rising tide lifts all boats and then so falling tide will, uh, will lower all boats. And so it's that, you know, in particular, if it's been weak on certain days this year, you know, let's recognize that it is a growth stock. It's not like a super high valuation, high expectation growth stock, but it does trade at a premium to the market. And so when you have a rising interest rate environment, uh, you can think of growth stocks as being long duration. So just like long duration bonds are not something you'd want to be long this year at all um, because they are very interest rate sensitive. High multiple growth stocks have more interest rate sensitivity um, because more of the value of the name is, um, is concentrated in those far out years because of the growth. Um, growth and the compounding. So when rates rise, um, high multiple stocks are a bit more vulnerable than the overall general market to that uh, valuation effect. What, what's the overall um, market? What's the multiple on uh, Dollarama today around? 
It would be in the low 20s, you know, like 23. I don't have the number off the top of my yeah. head, but I'll give you a confidence interval. I'll say with high confidence, it's between about 22 and 26. Okay. It, yeah, it's not a cheap stock, um, but oh. you would feel comfortable putting new money to work in the name today. Oh, for sure. In fact, it's a name that we added recently to our own growth portfolio back, I want to say a month and a half or so ago. Okay. The, the other interesting aspect to consider when you have um, dollar stores, whether it's in the States or Canada, is, you know, when you have uncertain times or inflation or what have you, you do see a trade down effect. Um, you know, people who may not have gone to the dollar stores before actually start to go to the dollar stores. There's, there's almost uh, a bit of a, uh, an economic impact that, that, you know, translates into the dollar stores. And also, of course, when oil's high. I'm, I'm really glad you pointed that out, Catherine, because that actually played into our thinking and adding the name to the portfolio as well. Like if you think about, you know, again, tying it back to the macro stuff we talked about off the top of the show here. Um, yes, inflation is very high. And, and the, the pertinent fact here is that it's higher than average real wage growth, which means people's purchasing power is shrinking. Right. And, you know, you know, as well as I do, many Canadians are paycheck to paycheck households. And are of course value conscious and Dollarama brings more bang for your buck in terms of value per dollar than really any other retailer selling comparable products. So, yeah, people whose pockets are feeling pinched by uh, inflation, rising interest rates, mortgages resetting, filling up the gas tank. You know, maybe they used to buy certain consumables in Metro or Loblaws or Sobies. And maybe those purchases are now shifting to Dollarama where the price per, you know, the value per, per dollar is uh, greater. Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely worth a look. It's amazing how much you can find in there. It is, yeah. It's not a glam shopping experience, but uh, for the value conscious shopper, it's, um, you know, you'd be surprised what you find there. And you'll find more there going forward because they're rolling out another higher price point, actually. They just announced that last quarter. So up to $5. Oh. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I know. I love it. So many years ago, um, when the dollar stores, you know, everything then it's $2, $3, now $5, I guess. Right, yeah. That's okay. That's okay. Um, let's uh, take a look at another stock, um, uh, Nutrien. Why? I mean, obviously, we, we're seeing not only the inflation effects of oil, but also, of course, fertilizers and food prices. So, but how much of that is already reflected in the stock? Yeah, so this is a stock we added to our momentum portfolio, uh, along with another fertilizer name uh, back a few months ago. So uh, the nature of this momentum portfolio is uh, colloquially, we sometimes say like we might be here for a good time, not a long time. So it's more trading oriented. Um, mm -hmm. We still own the name, we still like it, you know, still adding to uh, positions, but um, Nutrien is just experiencing a bonanza of cash flow this year, and that's um, bolstered, of course, by very high fertilizer prices, which themselves um, were, you know, even prior to going into 2022, bolstered by very high cash crop, crop prices, so corn, wheat, soybeans, and the like, and, and accordingly, very strong farmer economics, incentivizing fertilizer applications, that sort of thing. Um, and then we had the war in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine, of course, is often referred to as the, the world's breadbasket. Um, there's just tons of weed and grain exports that go out of there. But the other thing is um, Russia produces a lot of that too. So those markets for cash crop commodities have gotten on tight, really tight, like cycle high, all-time high pricing. 
and then fertilizer markets, Russia and Belarus are massive. They're almost like a Saudi Arabia of fertilizers, so phosphate and potash. And so Belarus had already been under economic sanctions for, you know, kind of being naughty on the world stage a few years back. Russia obviously, um, you know, took that title from them, um, you know, dramatically this year with the invasion of Ukraine. So fertilizer prices are just over the moon. And Nutrien has um, six world-class potash mines that are still producing here in, um, in Canada. They produce nitrogen, they produce phosphates, and the prices for all three of those commodities are just um, creating a gusher of cash flow for them. So we think they're going to deploy that cash wisely into organic growth into buying back their shares, which have already been doing prolifically um, and making acquisitions um, likely overseas in places like Australia and Brazil, where they've got nice footprints, but want to grow. Hmm. Um, would there be an expectation of a special dividend? Uh, could, could well happen, yeah. Could well happen because it's almost going to be an embarrassment of riches, how much cash flow they generate this year. And they're already... You know, they already have a pretty clean balance sheet um, that's been delivered nicely after the, the merger of Agrium and um, the predecessor company Potash. So, um, yeah, this is going to be a, just an absolute windfall year of earnings for them, like probably 4x what they earned in 2009, wow. for instance. And um, in, in terms of the, this stock is in your momentum portfolio. So you obviously bought it lower than where it is and then kind of ride, riding the momentum of what's going on within that area of the world. Um, I guess, A, where does it trade and, and how long can you hold on to it for? Uh, well, momentum, you know, we're, uh, it's, I guess uh, there, there's a lot goes into it. There's a quantitative model, there's some fundamental thinking, there's some technical analysis, and then there's a macro strategic wrapper around all of it. Um, but, you know, to kind of boil it down to something simple and approachable momentum, the gist of it is the trend is your friend. So what we're talking about here is trend in price, trend in reported earnings, trend in expected earnings and pattern of reported earnings versus consensus expectations. So we will own it, um, you know, up until such time as it doesn't keep having that trend um, at its at its back. And so right now it still does. I, I wouldn't want to hazard a guess as to just how long we'll have it, but I would say, um, you know, it's probably only an even probability of us having it on the books come, you know, New Year's Day 2023. Okay. Because okay, it's, it's getting, it is getting late in the fertilizer cycle, Catherine. And so, yeah. you know, when you run a momentum strategy, you do need to be nimble because I'll remind you, and, and you'll remember this, the predecessor company, Potash Corp of Saskatchewan, went on a moonshot back in 2007. The last time fertilizer prices were this tight, it briefly became the biggest company by market capitalization on the TSX. And then it did a face plant and fell 80% in the down cycle very, very quickly. So, um, you know, you don't want to overstay your welcome on a momentum trade is sort of the point I'm trying to make here. Yeah, that's a great point. People have to you know, recognize um, the characteristics of certain stocks because of the sectors that they're in, i.e. commodities. And um, and you have to really just, you know, be aware of, of exactly what it is. And, you know, the stocks that you married versus the stocks that you date. Um, Bingo. Yeah, I didn't want to use that terminology. Um, I'm going, better you should do it. <laughs> fair point, fair point. Uh, all right, let's, in the interest of time, because we're doing these top five at five and 20 minutes, um, Agnico Eagle. Uh, I, I've thought of actually buying a gold stock as well for, I don't know if it's hedging or, or what I'm thinking, but, but why, why are you owning it? 
Well, I guess the number one uh, best reason is we're bullish on gold. So gold is class. I mean, gold is an enigma. Let's just acknowledge that gold does what it does. And, you know, I think you just have to respect what the market is telling you by observing the price action in gold. But in terms of sort of theoretical um, backing for the bull case on gold, uh, gold has classically been an inflation hedge. We have, you know, the highest inflation you or I have seen in our, our lifetimes, or at least would remember in our lifetimes. And gold is also classically thought of as a, a, a geopolitical risk hedge. And with the war in Europe, the most severe since the Second World War, I think it's fair to say that we have a lot of geopolitical risk on the table. So gold is in gear and is testing resistance near the all-time highs around that 2000 mark. Agnico uh, is, uh, is a high quality, I would almost uh, dare to say, one of the best of breed uh, producers in the space. Um, it's light on geopolitical risks with 12 producing mines in Canada, Finland, uh, Mexico, and Australia. Um, and these are places that have good rule of law and where you're not at risk of, you know, the government of the day arbitrarily nationalizing your gold mine, as so often happens. Um, or, you know, as some Canadian producers have found, mining gold in Russia is all good until all of a sudden it's not, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, these guys are lean operators. They're very judicious in making acquisitions with their own shares. The share count doesn't dilute serially year in and year out like a lot of gold mining companies do. And they like, um, you know, high-grade good assets that are easy to operate, simple metallurgy and safe, stable jurisdictions. Uh, they just completed the merger with Kirkland Lake Mines. That makes them bigger, more market cap. It makes them more relevant to more investors. So, um, yeah, a good operator and a good uh, advantaged uh, commodity right now. Okay. And um, taking a look at another name, Live Nation. Right. So this is kind of back to what we talked about, uh, you know, on the open, more services, less things. This is the year where we go back to doing things instead of buying things. And Live Nation is the parent company of Ticketmaster. Uh, and so they uh, control about 235 event venues, um, a lot of them in the U.S., but, you know, some elsewhere in Europe, here in Canada. Uh, they've got a really big programming calendar for this summer. You know, a typical summer will have about 25 large-scale concert tours going on. They've got something closer to 45. Uh, and so volume demand is up strongly, 20% plus, um, you know, year over year. Uh, average ticket pricing is up double digits as well. Then there's ancillary revenue streams as well, sponsorships and all the merchandise that's sold on sites. So they got you know, a piece of the action there. Um, and then during the pandemic, obviously, it was kind of an existential crisis for them, right, with a lot of these things shut down. So they affected a $200 million internal cost saving initiative, some of which is structural, meaning it wasn't just an emergency, you know, turn off the discretionary spend, but it was thoughtful, longer-term strategic cost takeouts. And so that will continue to accrue to their benefit. Um, so good sort of cyclical uh, demand backdrop, uh, we think, and um, at thematically advantaged in a reopening economy. Uh, and kind of a unique exposure too. There's not, not a lot of, um, you know, it's hard to think of a similar company out there. So uh, a yeah. good reopening trade play. Yeah, interesting uh, reopening trade, of course. You know, we always tend to think of the cruise lines and the airlines. This is another kind of add-on. And you know, I think everybody wants to get out there and get to some concerts for sure. Um, yeah. All yeah. of us. A amen to uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's take a look at the last one. Uh, CVS. 
very recent addition. Um, so oh. we bought this uh, just just over a week ago. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, viewers in the U.S. of course will recognize this. It's the ubiquitous pharmacy chain, and Canadians that have been traveling in the U.S. will of course recognize it as well. Um, they like to state that 85% of the American population lives within 10 miles. Yeah, it would be miles, not kilometers, of one of their retail um, stores. So that's all true. There's about 9,900 stores, which is just a massive footprint. You know, you think about how ubiquitous Shoppers is here. And they only have 13 or 14 understores. So CVS is everywhere. You just can't, you know, you stumble upon them accidentally when you're down in the States. Uh, but it's more than that. So that was kind of the old CVS pre-2006, 2007. In 2006, 2007, uh, they bought a pharmacy benefits manager um, called Caremark. So that mm-hmm. became a very big business, almost to rival the, front, the, the pharmacy business. And then about four years ago, um, they acquired Aetna, the health insurer and managed care organization, which is actually now their their largest line of business. So what used to be thought of um, quite correctly as a a dominant player in a fairly oligopolistic pharmacy business is now a completely vertically integrated healthcare behemoth. So you've got the upstream managed care organization, the health insurance, you've got the midstream uh, pharmacy benefits manager, which is sort of an intermediary between insurers and and uh, managed care organizations and uh, drug uh, companies and then does filming and and stuff down into the pharmacies and then you've got the retail footprint so they're doing really interesting things and i think um, you know obviously healthcare is secularly advantaged by the aging demographics and let's face it Catherine, quite a lot of morbidity and disease in the united states so it grows faster than overall gdp and the recent acquisitions that they've done um, give them good strategic optionality that helps them, uh, I think, overall deliver um, lower cost healthcare and better outcomes to, you know, a lot of Americans. Yeah. Um, what was the valuation on it? It's interesting you just added to it. Isn't it? Is it attractive right now? Well, yeah, it really is. It's an undemanding valuation. It's about thirteen times earnings. So wow. you know that that's a discount to the overall market. It grows. Um, more quickly, it's sort of a high single-digit earnings grower with a couple percent of dividend yield. So you put those two together, you got a good line of sight to a double-digit return over a cycle. And really, to even speak of a cycle when you speak of this company is kind of um, you know off base because it's not cyclical. That's the thing, right? Whatever happens to the economy, people need their prescriptions and they need their health insurance and they need their hospital stays, and so. It's, it's a very, 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 very steady, stable, um, non-cyclical growth company trading at an undemanding multiple. Nice. All right, Brian, we're going to leave it there. Um, thank you. I, I, um, in, in terms of though your firm, if people are just that they can obviously call you um, or touch base with your colleagues, salespeople. Absolutely. Sure. We, we love oh. talking to people. <laughs> but, and what I was going to ask, though, what, what's the approach of the firm in the sense that are they pooled accounts or segregated accounts? Yeah, we primarily manage uh, pooled funds. So equities, we've got three different um, style diverse approaches to managing equities. We also manage fixed income. And Catherine, fairly unique and differentiated among boutique investment council firms. We have an integrated in-house alternatives capability. Uh, because we have a sister company affiliate that does real estate development called Emblem Developments. So we can offer um, affluent and high net worth client families, um, you know, proprietary access to um, 
to, to real estate, which is something that a lot of small to mid-sized investment council firms can't do. And we also have an integrated, very sophisticated uh, family office capability, deep expertise in financial planning, estates, trusts, tax planning, and all that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, it's a pretty broad and deep um, lineup of products and services that uh, we offer. So yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. Real pleasure, Captain. Thanks for the invite and uh, have a great day.